Wonderful. It's great to see everybody. Um, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to be in 19 through 23 and a few other places. And this is going to be a bit of a different topic because it's as much an address as a sermon. Do I need something? Sure, Greg, why don't you, just because I miss you. And I think we did that thing again where we became clothes twins un- unintentionally. So, here. Oh. I thought we were going to have a moment. Nope. All right. Anyhow. So, we're in an interesting time in human history, and I think we're in an interesting time for us within an interesting time. And I I could be totally wrong, so this could be the least applicable message you ever hear from me. If everything goes different than how I think it's going to go, and everything is just different, um, you know, then this won't count, and I'll have wasted your warning, and I apologize in advance. But I I have a heart niggle that this might be helpful for today and for these weeks for us. And I really wonder if we're about to go through some significant birth pangs as a country and as a church and a city as well. So what are birth pangs? Birth pangs are those feelings you get, sorry, sisters, when you're about to give birth. It's really, um, okay, I'm going to stop right there because I've got ahead of myself, but let's read the scripture first. This is the writings of the Apostle Paul, who um, is an important person for us. I love him. I love him as a man and as a spiritual leader and as a person. I'm pretty sure that if we were alive at the same time, I'd be too intimidated to spend much time with him. But I'm so grateful that we get to enjoy his life through his writings. But he's also a spokesperson for God. So when he was writing these letters, he was writing what God wanted his church to have for, the, for this entire period until Jesus returns and wraps up all of human history. And then we don't need a Bible anymore because we will see Jesus face to face in a renewed world together. But until that time, these are the words of God that the Father wants us to have so that we can know him and know Christ, and know the Holy Spirit, and serve him well, in, and be fruitful as his children in this world. And so Paul is writing here because in this one church in Corinth, there's been this kind of divisive thing come about, about and it had to do with like politics, and local non-Christian religion, and relationship, and uh, spiritual freedom, and all these different things. And in this passage, Paul is going to lay out his own personal mission focus where he is willing to lose anything in order to gain people to Christ. And this is how he's going to explain it. And so he says this, for though I am free from all, meaning in Jesus and as an apostle, he is free to just be be in Christ. He's, he's not stuck being a Jew or a non-Jew. He's not stuck being anything because he's in Jesus. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, and Paul is a Jew, to the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law, meaning the Jewish people still holding the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, meaning the non-Jewish people, I became as one outside the law, 
not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. And essentially what he's saying, in a nutshell, is he's a Jew, but he's ministering to non-Jewish people, and he's just saying, I will change everything about myself except my service to Jesus in order to win people to Jesus. Now, how does this relate to birth pangs? Okay, birth pangs. What are birth pangs? I like actually letting you guys see all the points on my notes so you can read ahead if you start getting bored and you can anticipate where I'm going. I'm a giving preacher. I don't need to keep you in a consistent state of surprise and suspense. You know what I mean? We're all friends here. Birth pangs, when I'm talking about this, it's this... It's this knowledge that a gigantic change is coming your way. And as the change gets closer, everything gets harder. Until there's one big painful event, and then it's wonderful, but there's more work. Amen? Sisters, is that, can you put up your hand if you think that's fair? There's this big change coming, and as it gets closer, even though the change is good, it's not getting easier and easier and easier it's actually getting more and more difficult and hard and heavy and retaining water and your hips go out and you just can't find a comfortable position to lie down and everything's irritating you. And then it really starts to hurt and then you have a baby and you forget everything you just went through in the last nine months and start to want to think about doing it all over again in a few months. True fact? Okay, close enough. Close enough to not have anybody throw anything at me. Pains and trouble because pent-up change is arriving. Birth pangs. Pains and troubles that sometimes increase because pent-up change is, is right around the corner. I could be totally wrong. But I think we might be going through some birth pangs. In our country, politically, I think the last day or two, one province announced that they gave the deadline for when they're going to get rid of their vaccine mandates. That's a huge change. Yeah, and waiting for it may kill you. Amen? That's what I'm talking about. There's this big thing in Ottawa that I don't totally want to get into. So much pent-up desire for change. Has, it, has that pent-up desire for change, is that making things easier or not easier? Is it making things more intense or less intense? The desire for change, the inevitability of change, is going to make things more intense because the vaccine mandates won't be here forever. If they don't stop tomorrow, it'll be next month or the month after that. Like, eventually, things will change. Amen? Eventually, we will be at church without masks. It may be in a prison cell altogether. It may be on a cruise ship. It may be in Florida. I don't know what it is. But someday, we will be gathered together without all wearing the masks. That change is coming. But between now and that coming in fullness, I think it may get harder, not easier. If we're not aware. Birth pangs. The process of things getting harder and harder and harder while you wait for a change. 
as some of this stuff comes to an end, I think there's going to be times at looking at COVID costs, cost relationship, cost times, cost educationally, all this stuff. And this is going to increase potentially impatience or, or struggles or even talking about what just happened. We're going through personal change. None of you is the same as you were Christmas 19, 2019. Or 1999. Whatever. You're not the same. None of you are the same, are you? And when we can all gather together and we can all go to a restaurant and nobody's checking, Lord willing, you're going to find out people are different. And you're different. There's the cost of reality setting in. So many things happened to try to help over the last two years and we're going to find out whether they did or not. And there's going to be all kinds of opportunities to have I told you so's. I don't think you should go there. Doesn't please the Lord. And someday, everybody who is a part of Calvary Chapel is going to be able to show up at once. And you know what's going to happen? You're all going to realize you are part of a church that you haven't experienced yet. Because everybody who comes to Calvary has come with 100 or less people, or 120 or less people, for the last two years. And you're going to realize the church you go to doesn't have four seats for every person who shows up. Amen? And some of you might start going, oh, this is a little crowded. (laughs) Right? Good. Not everybody feels like that. Some people, this is like an introvert's dream. You can lie down on an entire row all by yourself right now, by law. You might not have that protection sometime soon. So we got birth pangs now and coming until the baby arrives. I could be wrong, but everything might get harder for a while. Spiritually, relationally, politically which means it's up to us to up our game again in order to make sure we're keeping in step with the Spirit and walking with Christ in this time. Amen? I could be totally wrong. I don't think I am at the moment. But I'm telling you up front so you don't have to come and tell me I was totally wrong. Or when you do, we'll be in agreement. (laughs) We'll be in unity in my wrongness. Isn't that a great feeling? I want us to be really aware that when big stuff is happening, Christians need to become extra careful to stay in step with the Spirit. So going back to this, let's just see what Paul is writing here through the lens of a birth pang. He's brought the gospel to this city, which has created a church in an otherwise completely pagan city. And now because there's a church in this city, they're trying to figure out how to relate to the politics and the religion of this city as this unstoppable God force that eventually is going to take over. Like the problem has to do with meat sacrificed to idols in the city of Corinth. And the long-term effect is that all those temples were destroyed as living temples. Do you ever notice nobody worships the Greek gods anymore? 
because Jesus killed them? That's the long-term effect. In the meantime, Paul had to teach these people how to live together. And what he presented to them is this apostolic missionary mindset of going through this birth pang of birthing a church and seeing pagans transformed into Christians. And he said, this is how I go through the complexities of going into a city where there are no Christians and there are no churches and planting a church with Christians in the midst of these pagans when I'm a Jew and the book is Jewish and I'm teaching them about Jesus and everything is so hyper-complicated as all these worldviews clash together and all these desires clash together and God is moving and Satan is moving and political leaders are doing one thing and spiritual leaders are doing another thing. This is how how I get through it to maximize the blessing. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. There's a lot of winnable people during birth pangs. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. When Paul goes to Jerusalem, you cannot tell he's not a Jew. He's so Jewish. Doesn't stop them from trying to kill him. But he didn't make his freedom in Christ an issue. He made Christ the issue. In order to win the Jews and to those who are under the law, I became as one under the law, though myself not being under the law, because he's not under the law anymore. He doesn't relate to God under the Old Testament covenant. That I might win those under the law. And to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. When he was hanging out with the Gentiles, you couldn't tell he was a Jew anymore. But not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. And have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. So, things to think about if we're going through a birth pang and you want the blessings. I want each one of us to consider and answer this question. Who are you on mission for? Who are your people? This solves a lot of problems and questions. To join Paul and say, this is who I'm trying to win to Christ. He says, I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. So we've been like 23 months during, through every kind of mandate, right? It's been a long time. Long enough to go and like buy a gerbil and have it die of natural causes. This is a long time, if they ever do. I think every gerbil dies of neglect eventually, or your dog. Those are the two options, but it's all I've ever seen. And uh, I shouldn't have said that. Um, And we've been through a lot, and people have come, and people have gone, and the elder team, I think, has done well. And we're not uniform, okay? Matt, Greg, Elmer, and I walking through this stuff, And it tickles me because when I think about stuff, I think there's two of us who are vaccinated and two of us who are not vaccinated. We're split 50-50. So right away, the big one, we're half and half. And of the four of us, two of us have got COVID and two of us haven't got COVID. 
But it's not the two who were unvaccinated who got it and the two who were vaccinated that didn't get it. We're just under the sovereignty of God. We're split right down the middle on on it. But we've got along really well through this time. And I think the reason is this. You guys can shake your heads. We know who our people are. It's you. We answer all of our questions with, we're here for Calvary. What side are you on? This thing or that thing? We're here for Calvary. What about this way to split? This thing or that thing? We're here for Calvary. We understand our mission is to serve the people of Calvary Church, and that answers 90% of all the questions. And if we were not united on that, it would not have worked for the last two years as well. But we are committed to serving Christ at Calvary. And so all we need to do is love you in front of us, and that's most of the battle. Amen? I think that's what's been going on. I got one thumb up. Another thumb up. Matt's serving somewhere, so there he's at the back thumb up. Most of the questions about how we live are answered because we just know we're on mission for you. It gets complicated when we're together because you're all different. But we know that the sacrifice starts in our heart for your good. Does that make sense? So who are your people during this time? During the birth pang, who do you want to win to Christ? Who, that, like, this should be the answer. There's lots of different people groups right now. Who do you want to win to Christ? And you may find, like, you got to watch out because Paul, if he were like the unvaxxed guy and God's like, go get them vaxxed, he would get, he would get shot up like a drive-by. He would get all the shots. He'd want a booster from every single company doing one so that he can totally reach out to the vaxxed. Even if it caused some myocarditis. Because he was so willing to get killed for Jesus. And there wasn't one people group that he wasn't willing to lose, to go reach out to, who didn't eventually try to beat him to death. He's like, I'll do anything to reach out to the Jews. And they tried to kill him. And I'll do anything to reach out to the Gentiles. And they stoned him to death. So the physical danger was not his issue. It was what maximizes the gospel. And I'm not saying this flippantly. I know, I, I just, I'm not worthy to walk on the same earth as this man. But he had seen the risen Jesus with his eyes, and that really changed things for him. So, just, do you want to make a birth pang easy? Who is your people that you're going to give your life for during this season? And then just do it. And are we under the law of Christ during this time? I think this is one of the things that that God wants to teach us through the last two years. When the church is very enmeshed with the surrounding culture. Do you know what I mean by that? Like... We, in general, are a lot like Canadians. Us, children of God, citizens of heaven, seated on the throne right now, right now, 
in Christ, seated at the right hand of God, still acting a lot like Canadians. But if you got an airplane and flew to Afghanistan, you wouldn't necessarily want to become like everybody right away because you feel the difference. And the way forward between the two different cultures would be to hold on to the law of Christ. So Paul said, he's like, when I go to people who aren't under the scriptures, aren't under the law of Moses, I'm as free as they are, except I never live one second where I'm outside of the authority of Jesus. There's not a government in the world who can tell me I'm free enough to be free of the law of Christ, and there isn't a government in the world who can make a law that will make me disobey the law of Christ. He is the Lord of all lords and the king of all kings and the prime minister over every prime minister and the only one who is going to judge your life on the last day. And so we live to please him and him alone. And then he turns around and says, live your life to please others just to keep it complicated. Amen? Do you want to know what the law of Christ is? I'm, I think about this. If you want to know the law of Christ, why don't you go study the Sermon on the Mount for a bit? When Jesus was teaching it, he said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Don't take him for a rebel. He looks like a rebel because he's so much more obedient than everybody else. But he's not a rebel. And then he teaches his people how to be obedient to God. The Sermon on the Mount is coming under the law of Christ. If you want to know how to follow the law of Christ from your heart, you embrace your cross. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. To be under the law of Christ is to learn how to do things the way Christ does. And he said, my life on this earth was me every single day picking up my own instrument of torturous death and carrying it to the place where I will be destroyed by it under the will of God and for his glory. Do you want to be under the law of Christ, which is the only way for a Christian to live? Pick up your cross every day. And the reason I'm kind of emphasizing this is because if you're anything like me, you can want to make your, your day about getting rid of your crosses. Right? I've got so much to bear. I want to get rid of these things. How do I get rid of these burdens? How do I get rid of these pangs? How do I get rid of these trials? How do I get rid of these problems? How do I get rid of these people? We're not supposed to get rid of our crosses every day. We're supposed to pick them up every day and follow Christ. But more specifically, in another book, in the book of Galatians, Paul writes, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ, or fulfill the law of Christ. And I think the law of Christ is to love your neighbors yourself. But he says here, to help your brother or sister when they have a burden, to help carry it, to help pick it up, to make your life harder so that their life can be easier, is fulfilling the law of Christ. That's, that's rough. Make your life harder to make your brother's life easier 
and thus fulfill the law of Christ. And I think about this because we're the ones not under the law in general. Eh? We're, we're pretty free. But Paul says, even if I were a citizen of Canada, I would never for a second lay down the law of Christ to obey the Sermon on the Mount. I, I think about this. Do you guys ever remember this whole like, file-sharing thing that was about maybe 10, 10, 15 years ago? There was this interesting situation where technology through the Internet grew to the place where you could start sending people things like videos and songs and stuff like this, like Napster. Remember anybody? Okay. Oh, this is terrible. Lord... I'm at a time where remembering when the internet started makes me old. Oh, this is crazy. Back in 1992, when the old cathode ray tube black and white television came out, we'd watch the moon landing. Oh, I'm there. Anyhow, the Canadian law was that it was illegal to share files with other people, but it wasn't illegal to download them. Anybody remember this? And so there were all these people downloading what was essentially stolen movies and videos, but saying, it's not illegal. It's illegal for the other guy to put it up there for me to take, but it's not illegal for me to take. It was illegal in the States, but they're just like, it's so good to be Canadian. Anybody? You know, don't put your hand up, you know? It's like, that's a little too close to home, Rob, for me to put my hand up. It was okay in Canada to break the law of Christ in that area. For he would say, thou shalt not steal. Amen? And there are all kinds of freedoms that the Canadian government offers to people which are absolutely not pleasing to the Lord. And we want to obey the law of Christ. But sometimes there are things that you're kind of not supposed to do that we still need to do as Christians. Okay, and I, I'm going to make everybody uncomfortable right here. Okay, so we're all in this together. And can you wait till Tuesday to send me the emails? Like, I'll pray for the next 36 hours and then receive it. I'm pretty sure a month or two ago I went to a gathering at someone's house, which was not technically abiding by all the rules. I didn't count the people, but I went. And I went because I was fairly convinced that if I didn't go, I was going to lose a friend that needed me to show them I loved them more than something else. And so I went with zero rebellion in my heart. And zero lawlessness in my heart, but 100% needing to love somebody. And I will tell you the truth. Jackie and I have missed out on so much in the last two years. We're, we're not vaccinated, so we, don't, we can't go to any of the vac stuff. We can't go to the restaurants. We can't do any of the big parties. We can't do any of that stuff. But we're leaders, so we need to conduct ourselves publicly in honorable ways so we don't get invited to all the other parties that people are having. We have missed out on so much. But this one time I went because I felt like it was the law of Christ to love my brother even at the risk of getting a fine or whatever. 
Interesting thing happened there. I ran into somebody who I would not run into anywhere else who was having an absolutely 9 out of 10 terrible time, and I ended up having a nice pastoral counseling time followed by prayer ministry with this person. Orchestrated by the Lord, I think. And I know this sounds like rule-breaking, and I know somebody's feeling like I'm giving everybody permission just to run around naked every time we get to church, but I want you to see things from my perspective. In the last couple of weeks, the federal government made my job illegal. Because they made it so that if I get before you and tell you that the only kind of sexuality that is pleasing to the Lord and good for you is heterosexuality, which excludes homosexuality and transgenderism as ways that will actually be healthy for you, and you need to get converted to Christ and let him therapeutically heal you into the person you are made to be, I am facing up to five years in jail. So if you would look at things through my perspective, I'm already big-time criminal. And you know what didn't happen when the law changed? Nobody at this church said, thank you for being faithful to the Word of God and preaching that message you preached a couple weeks ago where you confirmed biblical sexuality in the face of a law change that threatens you with jail. Nobody said anything. But we did get a ton of squabbling about masks. Wake up, guys. Nobody said anything. that's totally fine because there's blessings in jail brother was telling me the other day in China they're like if you haven't been to jail you're not a pastor amen that's where their seminaries are held in the clink because that's where all the like hardcore people are we might get there we might get there I hope not these are wild times but it, but it is true that uh, politically things are not more and more in love with Christ. Amen. But I'm really hopeful because much of the uh, hostility to the gospel is absolutely castles built on sand and it, it is just not true and it won't stand. And when the time comes when people are hungry for real freedom and real truth, um, the gospel will be there for them. So, let's assume that there's going to be some fairly significant spiritual warfare in the next couple of months around the church to try to convince Christians to spoil the blessing that God wants to give us. Here is a picture of the birth of the church some 2,000 years ago, and it's very symbolic, and the woman is the church, and the child is Christ and the dragon is the devil 
And John saw this, and it said, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and in his heads seven diadems, which stands for political power. And his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven, which I understand is the heavenly or the fallen angels and cast them to the earth and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore a child he might devour it what is the devil's plan for the next good thing to happen to us he wants to devour god's next good thing for us the same way he wanted to devour christ that's his plan he just sits there in front of the woman with his mouth open, waiting to try to devour whatever God wants to do next. And I don't want to participate with that. I don't want to participate with that. So here's my mission. I'm going to keep wearing the masks at church. I don't care if you think I look like a doofus or a stooge or a tool of the government. I'm going to wear it because I'm not a rebel. I want to be under the authority of God. And so I'm going to keep wearing it until like, it's like all official, official, official. And I'm going to be as patient as I can. And I've worn it a lot. I've worn it tons. I've worn it probably not more because I get to take it off when I'm speaking. But I have worn it as many times here at this building as anybody else because I've been here at this church more than anybody else over the last two years. And I'm going to keep doing it to the very bitter end. However, in the meantime, I am going to recommit myself to every kind of self-sacrifice for the good of Calvary Church so that we might together share in the blessings of the gospel. Jesus, my life is on the altar for you. I don't want promises about the future. I want your blessing now. And so I submit to every kind of authority I can. Yours first, the church's next, the government under that, as it is in heaven and on earth. Wanting to be corrected where I'm wrong, by scripture, in love. My life is on the altar for you. My life is on the altar for you. And I want to be able to shed every single part of myself that is not Christ Jesus in order to win people to you. May all God's people say, Amen. Let's worship.